MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, March 14th, 2022. Today, the FBI has raided the home of an unindicted co-conspirator mentioned in the Enrique Tarrio indictment. Lev Parnas will plead guilty in the fraud guarantee case. A federal judge blocks Donald from countersuing E. Jean Carroll. And a leaked Kremlin memo tells Russian media it's essential they feature Tucker Carlson. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello. Hello, Dana. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. I don't know if anyone else is just not adjusting well to this daylight savings this time, but I am dead to the world today. I just feel... And I'm watching AG yawn as I say yeah. this, like big yawn. In the, <laughs> and you heard it there, people. You heard it there. Yeah, I'm super tired. I had no idea how important an hour was. Is this, is it just because I'm the age that I am? Or is it, oh, I think I've always been tired. Yes. Daylight savings. You know, AG, before we get started, I just want to acknowledge something from um, last week when we were talking about um, Brittany Griner. I, I know most people know me well enough that if I misspeak, they know that and there's some grace in that. Um, but I did say that I was, I, I said it was a silly choice. And you know what? It was a bad choice of words. I had just watched, finished watching the video, the actual video of her being searched at the airport and them going through the packages. But I'm usually much better about if this happened and not assuming it did. And I just want to apologize if, if anyone listening was taken aback by that. I can understand why. And it was more of the of the underlying message of please just be careful. We, especially if you're a minority, especially if you are a lesbian, especially if you're traveling to Russia in a time of war or at all, just just please be careful. So I apologize if I um, if I use poor ch- word choice then. But yes, so thank you for letting me say that, and I hope that the listeners hear that and 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 know that know me well enough to know that if that ever happens, it was a a deep mistake. Yeah. Yeah. No, no worries. And, and, you know, we did sort of talk about it right after that. Like this isn't a victim blaming thing and Yeah, that we didn't want to sound like that. And that understood that it could come across that way. And I'm deeply worried about her, uh, yeah. but yeah, it was one of those situations where, and I'm surprised it's not a bigger story. I mean, if this were like Tom Brady, I did read maybe... an article though about why, and they said that they were trying not to add, put so much light on it so that maybe our government could actually get her out without them making this a biggest bargaining chip as they're worried that it might be, but you're absolutely right. If this was a white football player, if this was Tom Brady, he would have been home two and a half weeks ago. Yeah. And it'd be all over. It'd be blown up. You wouldn't yeah. be able to stop the media. Absolutely. It. Agreed. hundred percent. Anyway, thank yeah. you for letting me have that time in your discussion. Yeah, no worries. We also pulled that bit out of the show too. So, yeah. you know, we just wanted to make sure that we're covering all our bases. Some of you may not know what we're talking about. There was a small edit and um, we just want to make sure that, you know, we have, we have values in this, this podcast that we like mm-hmm. to uphold and Every once in a while, something either gets on a, a tired day. One of us says something where we're like, that's not even what I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. So, yeah. Apologies. And yeah. Um, I think we I think we took care of it. Sounds so, good. yeah, I, I hope nobody thinks that we think that that's, yeah. you know, that's the number one message. And speaking about things that people think. I have a very opinionated guest on later. And he's, he's awesome. His name is Ellie Honig. He's been on the show a million times. And he he's going to talk about 
the Bill Barr rehabilitation tour that's been happening. Oh, Jesus, I'm to- over it already. Yeah. And I look forward to speaking with him about it because, you know, he wrote the book Hatchet Man about Bill Barr and everything that Bill Barr did to destroy and weaponize the Justice Department. And now he's going out there continuing to spread these lies, talking about how he'd prefer a different candidate over Donald Trump, but didn't outright say he wouldn't vote for him again. Uh-huh. Like It's just absolutely he's just a, a pile of garbage. So we're going to talk to Ellie Honig about that a little bit later in the show. And then, of course, we have the good news. Good news Monday is always my favorite good news. So I hope everybody sticks around for that. But first, for the news, we do have that. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up from Jordan Green at Raw Story. Excellent scoop here by Raw Story. While Proud Boys leader Enrique Tarria was being arrested in Miami in his underwear, FBI agents in North Carolina were executing a search warrant at the home of Jeremy Bertino, a high profile member of the Proud Boys with close ties to the street brawling group's national leadership. And this FBI raid was at his home in Charlotte, North Carolina, in the mm. suburbs. Yeah, because, you know, super tough guy. Oh, yeah. Growing up in the, in the, in the, burbs. the suburbs of Charlotte. <laughs> in a motion to tip, that reminds me of that bit from, uh, oh, what was the movie Swingers? Where he's like, you didn't grow up in Compton, Stu. <laughs> You're from the Valley or whatever. <laughs> in a motion to temporarily seal the indictment of Enrique Tario and five other Proud Boys of conspiracy charges, the government referenced two search warrants for the resident of co-conspirators in Belmont, North Carolina, and Carlisle, PA. And at least one of the warrants was executed on Bertino's residence in North Carolina Tuesday. Still haven't heard about the, the Pennsylvania one. That's according to a source with knowledge of the matter who spoke to Raw Story on the condition of anonymity. So Bertino's referenced in the new superseding indictment of Enrique Tario and the five other Proud Boys. He's, he's referenced as Person One. And you remember how I talked about how there's all sorts of Persons One, like... When the first seditious conspiracy charges dropped, that was for Stuart Rhodes. And he was referenced as person one in a conspiracy indictment with other Oath Keepers. Well, this is person one of the Proud Boys. And so I'm wondering and waiting to see if we won't see him arrested for seditious conspiracy and all of the other co-defendants superseded for it. We'll we'll find out. He hasn't been indicted yet. He was just referenced. And it noted that he suffered a knife wound during an altercation when Proud Boys gathered in D.C. on December 12th, 2020, for that first one of the first Stop the Steal rehearsal dinners, you know, for the for the coup that, you know, that 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 rally preceded the January 6th assault. And although Bertino is frequently referenced in the indictment as person one, he has not been arrested, as I said, but his Telegram channel, which was a frequent source of invective against covid restrictions, recently was set to private. Hmm. As a member of the Proud Boys, Bertino has promoted an aesthetic of extreme right-wing violence by marketing a patch with letters RWDS, short for right-wing death squads. That was during a confrontation over the Confederate flag in Pittsburgh, North Carolina in 2019. That He was the guy wearing the t-shirt that said Pinochet did nothing wrong, referring to the Chilean leader who carried out a bloody coup, the dictator who carried out a bloody coup backed by the CIA. Mm-hmm. And during a right-wing gathering to protest COVID restrictions and the outcome of the 2020 election, Bertino told counter-protesters, we will exterminate you. Interesting choice of words. According to the indictment, Bertino was added to the MOSD leaders. That's a, a group, an encrypted, an encrypted messaging app created by Tario as a national rally planning committee for events of January 6th. Um, and he, they did that on December 20th of 2020, along with Ethan Nordine, Joe Big, Zach Real, and Charles Donahoe who are now co-defendants in this conspiracy case. 
On December 26th, according to the indictment, Tario announced that the leadership team for the special operations group known as the MOSD, which is stands for Ministry of Self-Defense, sounds like a Harry Potter thing, included a marketing council consisting of himself, Biggs and Nordine, and an operations council consisting of Real and an, another individual. Bertino and Donahoe were designated regional leaders. And the indictment alleges that Tario created another encrypted messaging group to vet prospective members for MOSD. And that on December 29th, he posted a message to that group, the prospect group, advising them we will have a top-down structure while admonishing prospects that they should not attend live orientation sessions the following day if that's something you're not comfortable with. Unquote. That's a quote there. If, they, you don't, if you're not comfortable with the live training sessions, you don't, don't go. According to the government, Tario described the operations and marketing section as upper-tier leadership while designating eight regional members, including Bertino, as second-tier leaders. Those are second-tier leaders. So he was in the top tier, the second-tier leaders. And as we know, you remember with the Roger Stone thing, we were talking about how they shut down one group yeah, like of, of communications and opened up another one because Tario was, had been arrested and he was told to leave the area. So he, he you know, wanted to skirt and avoid. He figured that they were onto that group. Like, I'm just going to start another one. They know. <laughs> A new encrypted message group called MOSD Members Group was created by Tario on January 2nd, and that absorbed Proud Boys who had cleared the vetting process from the, you know, the prospective members group, and it grew to about 65 members. As an indication of the significance of Bertino's role in setting up the Proud Boys communication network for the January 6th operation, the government alleges that he created a new encrypted messaging group called Boots on the Ground on January 5th that grew to nearly 60 members. In a video posted on Rumble, in the early morning hours of January 7th, Bertino exulted in the scenes of members of Congress hiding behind their seats and, quote, cowering in fear, quote, because this today, while it could have gone all the way, this was a fucking warning. You don't have enough men or ammo to stop Americans if we want to take it back. Mark my fucking words. You don't have enough. There'll be one behind every blade of fucking grass. You better believe it. If that didn't show you enough tonight, what we're capable of, keep pushing us. Keep fucking with us. You've been fucking around for years. Today, you found out. Uh, no, Bertino, you're, you're about to find out. I hope he does. We'll see. What, I, I hope all these sons of bitches go down, AG, to be honest with you. Yeah, my, that's my, my prediction is there'll be a, a seditious conspiracy arrest for him and everyone else will get a superseding seditious conspiracy charge in that Proud Boys group including Enrique Tario, Rail, Biggs, all those guys. But, you know, they might not have enough for seditious conspiracy um, like they did with Stuart Rhodes. It could just be they might just arrest him for obstructing official proceeding and conspiracy right. to obstruct and all that other stuff that the, the other Proud Boys are already charged all with. All right. Well, speaking of criminals, and a federal judge has ruled that Donald Trump, uh, speaking of criminals, cannot amend his answer to rape accuser E. Jean Carroll's lawsuit in order to countersue her. And the judge slammed Donald for his frivolous delay tactics. Good. I'm glad someone has. This mm. is a quote. In the court's view, characterization of defendants' previous and threatened future actions as dilatory, in bad faith, or unduly prejudicial would be a bootless exercise. They are, in varying degrees, all three. And that's from senior U.S. District Judge Lewis Kaplan. And he wrote that in a 23-page ruling. Now, Carol's lawyer, Robbie Kaplan, and don't confuse the two, uh, they celebrated this ruling. This was a big win. Uh, she said, my client, E. Jean Carroll, and I could not agree more. That was a statement she wrote. Now, on November 4, 2019, Carroll sued Trump in state court for his defamation, alleging that the then-president defamed her by falsely denying that he raped her in the dressing room of the department store Bergdorf Goodman in the 1990s. 
Now, some three years later, those proceedings remained stalled in the beginning stages, including on what to even name the lawsuit. Trump claimed official immunity and wanted the Department of Justice to intervene on his behalf, rendering the case Carroll versus the United States and not Carroll versus Trump. Now, former attorney Bill Barr, the Justice Department, they did intervene, asserting that Trump was acting in his presidential capacity when he answered the accusation of sexual assault by telling reporters, quote, she's not my type, end quote. God, he's such a piece of shit. Hmm. The judge said that there were other delay tactics as well. Quote, in the days following defendant, then the president of the United States, attempted to evade service of the complaint at his New York City residence and the White House. That's what Kaplan wrote. Service was completed only by mail after the state court granted plaintiff's application for alternative service. Defendant then attempted to delay the progress of the lawsuit through frivolous motions practice. Now, this formed part of the pattern that Kaplan was talking about and went on to say, taken together, these actions demonstrate that the defendant's litigation tactics have had a a dilatory effect and, indeed, strongly suggest that he is acting out of a, a strong desire to delay any opportunity plaintiff may have to present her case against him. And that's what the judge wrote. That's the judge. Now, Kaplan wrote that the matter could have been resolved long ago. Plaintiff's only claim in this case is a single count of defamation, he wrote. It could have been tried and decided one way or the other long ago. And he continues, the record convinces this court that the defendant's litigation tactics, whatever their intent, have delayed this case to an extent that readily could have been far less, granting leave to amend without considering the a futility of the proposed amendment needlessly would make a regrettable situation worse by opening new avenues of significant further delay. That would unduly prejudice plaintiff, which, in my view, is a motive of the defendant's position on this motion. <laughs> so he is doing it so she cannot put her case forward. Yep. Delay, delay, delay. That's the only tactic he has left because he's guilty AF. Also, it's it's important to note that this Department of Justice decided to go with Barr's decision to represent Trump yes. in this case, right? right? The office of the president, Trump, saying, yes, indeed, he was acting in the capacity of his job when he said she's not my type. I disagree with that decision, but it is kind of a sign of how difficult it is to overturn previous attorneys general. So here we are. Now, next up, and finally, Lev Parnas, the former associate of former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani, convicted of violating campaign finance laws, now plans to plead guilty to a conspiracy charge related to his work with Fraud Guarantee, a fraud insurance company. (laughs) And that's according to his lawyer in a court filing Thursday. Parnas's attorney, Joe Bondi, who defended the Ukrainian-born businessman against criminal campaign finance charges last year and lost, requested a change of plea hearing ahead of a planned second trial in the Southern District of New York. Parnas originally pled not guilty in November of 2020 to wire fraud conspiracy for allegedly duping investors to put money into fraud guarantee. It's called fraud guarantee. (laughs) Anyway, Giuliani, who has not been charged with wrongdoing yet has said he was paid $500,000 to work for the company. Parnas's co-defendant, David Correa, whom prosecutors described as the closer in the fraud scheme, has already pled guilty and was sentenced last February to one year and one day in prison. I hope really bad stuff happens that one day. Oh, yeah. yeah. Prosecutors have said that the men stole $2 million from investors in their venture. Two, people donated $2 million to something called Fraud Guarantee which claimed to develop products that would help customers recoup losses resulting from investment or consumer fraud. (laughs) We're going to defraud you and teach you how to avoid being 
duped in a fraud scheme. It's fucking brilliant. However, the service never got off the ground and Parnas in Korea instead uses the funds on lavish personal expenses, including travel, luxury goods, untraceable cash withdrawals. That's all in the 2019 indictment. U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has also sued the two men in a parallel enforcement action seeking restitution and a penalty. U.S. District Judge Paul Oetken of the Southern District of New York severed the criminal conspiracy count from Parnas's trial last year on the campaign finance charges. He was expected to be tried again in Manhattan later this year. Parnas, meanwhile, is still awaiting sentencing for his role in the scheme to funnel foreign money into U.S. elections. Prosecutors are seeking a sentence between 51 and 63 months for his co-defendant, Kukushkin, who was convicted alongside Parnas in October. Kukushkin's lawyers have asked that his client be allowed to avoid prison. (laughs) Igor Fruman, a third man who pled guilty in the campaign finance case, is scheduled to surrender to the Federal Bureau of Prisons on March 14th. That's today. After receiving a brief reprieve to help family members evacuate Ukraine amid the ongoing Russian invasion there. Fruman was also sentenced to serve a year and a day in prison, a designation that makes him eligible for possible early release on good time credit. Thank you very much, A.G. And on March 3rd, as Russian military forces bombed Ukrainian cities as part of Vladimir Putin's illegal invasion of his neighbor, the Kremlin sent out talking points to state-friendly media outlets with one request. Use more Tucker Carlson. Fucking insane. This is a quote. It's essential to use as much as possible fragments of broadcasts of the popular Fox News host Tucker Carlson, who sharply criticizes the actions of the United States and NATO, their negative role in unleashing the conflict in Ukraine, and the defiantly provocative behavior from the leadership of the Western countries and NATO towards the Russian Federation and towards Putin personally. Now, advises the 12-page document written in Russian. It sums up Carlson's position, quote, Russia is only protecting its interests and security. The memo includes a quote from Carlson himself that says, and how would the U.S. behave if such a situation developed in its neighboring Mexico or Canada? The document titled, quote, for media and commentators, now recommendations for coverage of events as of March 3rd, was produced, now that's according to its metadata, at a Russian government agency called the Department of Information and Telecommunications Support, which is part of the Russian security apparatus. It was provided to Mother Jones by a contributor to a national Russian media outlet who asked not to be identified. Now, the source said memos like this one have been regularly sent by Putin's administration to media organizations during the war. Independent media outlets in Russia have been forced to shut down since the start of this conflict. Invasion. It's an invasion. A section headlined, quote, Victory in Information War tells Russian journalists to push these specific points. The Ukrainian military is beginning to collapse. The Kiev government is guilty of war crimes, and Moscow is the target of, quote, a massive Western anti-Russian propaganda operation. So they're pushing those three major lies. It states that Russian media should raise questions about Ukraine President Zelensky's state of mind and suggest that he's not truly in charge of Ukraine. Now, okay, it encourages these outlets to broadcast messages highlighting the law recently passed by the Russian Duma that makes it a crime to impede the war effort or disseminate what the government deems, quote, false information about the war. That's punishable to up to 15 years in prison. This portion instructs Russian journalists to emphasize that these penalties apply to anyone who promotes news about Ukrainian military victories or Russian attacks on civilian targets. Now, this is the section of the memo that calls on Russian media to make as much use as possible of Tucker Carlson's broadcasts. No other Western journalist is referenced in this memo at all. He's a fucking Russian tool. 
Yeah. And that includes all of Europe, by the way, (laughs) any Western country, not just the United States. Shouldn't he have to register as a foreign agent or something with the department? At this point, I think he should. He should also be taken off the air. He's he's putting our security at risk. Yeah. And they put Tulsi Gabbard put out a video today saying that the already debunked claim that there are biological labs, weapons labs, 29 of them or something like that operating in Ukraine that the U.S. is helping fund Tulsi Gabbard. She's she is in the army reserve as an officer. She should be removed, court-martialed. Uh, stripped of her benefits. Anyway, next up, we're going to talk to Ellie Honig. He's the author of Hatchet Man. He's a former federal and state prosecutor. He's got the he's got the goods on Bill Barr. And uh, it's been fascinating to watch Bill Barr go around and just try to spew these lies and just to have Ellie out there every second of every day, just countering them with all of the truth that he published in his book. If you don't have Hatchet Man yet, you should grab yourself a copy. We have a companion podcast, eight series podcast. MSW book club that we covered hatchet man if you're interested in checking it out because I think you know that stuff that information on Bill Barr might be coming in handy sooner rather than later so we'll talk to him right after the break stick around after these messages we'll be right back hey everybody it's AG and the beans is brought to you today by helix sleep we know how important a good night's sleep is sleep is my favorite it's my favorite thing ever especially since we just lost an hour Uh, But tossing and turning all night and then feeling drowsy and worn out all the next day is just the worst. And I used to struggle with restless nights and insomnia. And at first I thought it was stress and politics and PTS, but I was actually sleeping on a mattress made for someone else. And that's when I took the Helix Sleep Quiz at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and realized that what the bed I had was the wrong fit for me. But thankfully Helix came to the rescue. They matched me with the Helix Midnight because I'm a side sleeper and I like a medium firm mattress, so it's perfect for me. And they have mattresses at Helix to fit every sleeping style and body type. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses, body temperature regulating mattresses, spinal alignment mattresses, and even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. The Helix Midnight, like I said, is my perfect bed, and I love it. And thanks to Helix, I fall asleep fast. I sleep throughout the night. I don't toss and turn. I don't get sore in the morning, and I wake up refreshed. And as you know, Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. They were awarded number one best overall mattress of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine recommend Helix to improve your sleep. They have a 10-year warranty, 10 years, and you get to try it out for 100 nights over three months, risk-free. And if you don't love it, they'll come and pick it up, refund your money fully. There's no risk here. And they have financing options available and flexible payment plans. So a great night's sleep is never far away. Right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's Helix Sleep, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash Daily Beans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I am joined by a former federal and state prosecutor and author of the book Hatchet Man, How Bill Barr Broke the Prosecutor's Code and Corrupted the Justice Department. Ellie Honig. Ellie, welcome. AG, what a week, first of all. The, the, the Bill Barr re- reconnaissance, or not reconnaissance, what, what's the renaissance? The Bill Barr <laughs> renaissance week. He's back. He's on our TVs. Um, and I do have to say, as much as I love the title of my book, Hatchet Man, and I think it's very appropriate, his title of his book is what One Damn Thing After Another could easily have also been the title of my book. I think we would have meant it in very different ways. But um, it's been fascinating to watch. And as you and I have discussed, I mean, he's still so full of it. And it's even worse in a way um, because he's doing this tour and I'm like ready to break through my TV screen to uh, to try to set the record straight here. 
Yeah, and let's talk about that a little bit because I mean, he came out like a month ago, a little bit. He like eked, he like dipped his yeah. toe out into the public. He was like, "Hey, I'm coming out with a book," and uh, you know, everybody was like, "Get s- shut up, go away." Uh, and now he's out again, full force, because the book came out on the eighth, I believe. I even put it in my calendar, Ellie. Don't I, on the eighth, don't buy Bill Barr's book. <laughs> Not accidentally buy book, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And while he's on most of these shows. I'm screaming at the interviewer, like, ask him about the 1700 ballots, ask him about the lies, ask him about what he did with Roger Stone and Mike Flynn and why those were two of 10,000 cases that he he stepped in to, you know, to make a difference and to go easy on him. And and most of these interviews are just like softball media tour questions. But but I think Jake Tapper had a pretty good interview and you followed up on on CNN with that. Because he did ask about that. Talk a little bit about some of the things that, you know, you wanted to hear asked. It was a remarkable coincidence that Jake happened to ask those exact questions. Let me just say that first of all. <laughs> Listen, it, Jake and his team did a, did a really good job of confronting Bill Barr with facts, with undeniable facts, things that, uh, candidly, some of the other interviewers did not do. And, and I think you hit on the first one, and I think it was one of Jake's first questions was, okay, look. Yeah, I'm paraphrasing here, of course. Bill Barr likes to, loves to remind us all that he came out in December of 2020, three, four weeks after the election, and declared, well, I've not seen evidence of election fraud. But what nobody has confronted Bill Barr on, and what I think Bill Barr wants erased or forgotten from the public record, is the fact that for months leading up to the election, he was front and center cheerleading the lie, the threat of election fraud. And he got caught so badly when he did it. I mean, he, he went on NPR and lied so badly that God bless NPR, they had to run a retraction article entitled NPR let the attorney general tell a falsehood on our air. And then they quoted all these experts saying Bill Barr's, you know, sort of scary pronouncements about the threat of election fraud were nonsense, were nuts, was one of the quotes. And then Bill Barr went on CNN and, and talked about this, you know, this really scary case involving 1,700 fraudulent ballots. Well, it turned out that was one fraudulent ballot and DOJ had to officially take it back the next day. So Jake Tapper asked Bill Barr about that and Bill Barr's response, and this almost made my head explode, was, I stand by all of that. Now, look, I had told Jake's team that he would go, well, look, at the time, you know, he's a lawyer. He would go, well, at the time I was just talking sort of uh, about what might happen in the future and what the risks were and that kind of thing. But, you know, but the fact is he still made false statements. But Bill Barr didn't even do that. He just said, I stand by all of it. I mean, you stand by what? Proven lies that your own DOJ had to take back? Proven lies that NPR had to essentially issue a public apology for? That's what you stand by? So he's got nothing. He has no response to that. And that's an important part of his record that we should never forget. Yeah. And, you know, some of us actually are hoping that, you know, Department of Justice, I think on January 15th or the 25th, right out of the gate, like a couple of weeks after the uh, insurrection, announced that the inspector general of the Department of Justice, who is Mike Horowitz, uh, was going to be looking into former and current officials at the Department of Justice. And with, you know, with regards to what happened on January 6th. And of course, I would assume that that includes the leading up to the big lie, you know, the what fueled the fire, right? Trump lit the match, but it was all these claims. Great question. 
It's a great question. I would like to see Michael Horowitz dig into that. But I think what, what Michael Horowitz clearly is going to look at is the Jeffrey Clark, right? The, 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 yes. the mole inside DOJ who was trying to get himself appointed acting AG and who was trying to get DOJ to send a false letter to the state saying we've located evidence of election fraud. That certainly will be right down the right down the heart of the plate for, for Horowitz. I would love to see him dig into false public statements made by Bill Barr. I'm not sure he will, but I, but I think it's a good idea. Yeah. And, and there's some other issues that might come up, too. And of course, I mean, it's all speculation. But but did Trump ask Bill Barr to appoint Sidney Powell as a as a what a special, special counsel, counsel to right. look into election fraud? Because, you, you know, Trump, there was me- multiple memos out there about voting machines and Sidney Powell becoming a special counsel. But the president just can't appoint a special counsel. They have to go through the attorney general. So, right. I, you know, I'm curious about that and what like if there were any conversations about that. But you know what really just made my jaw hit the floor, Ellie, was today on the Sunday shows, uh, Bill Mm -hmm. Barr sort of presented himself as that we should sort of be thanking him for 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 pushing like we should be indebted to him for for keeping Trump, you know, between some sort of guardrails. And I thought that that was like one of the most like I, I threw up in my mouth a little. So I, I will admit to having having had my fill, my saturation point of Bill Barr this week and then some. So I did I did not see him on the Sunday shows. I spared myself. Good. But look, it's more of the same from this guy. He is trying to just rewrite history. And and it, honestly, like at the risk of tooting my own horn, I mean, it makes me more more even more gratified that I wrote my book because honestly, without it, what counterpoint would be out there where, you know, where we would have little things we remembered. Oh yeah, that sounds a little wrong, but he is just trying to tell us it's almost the exact same thing he did with the Mueller report, which is let me tell you the public, all the stuff I like, and let me omit all the stuff that I dislike. And that is a very dishonest way to try to shape and reshape reality and history. And no, look, Think of all the things that Bill Barr did to protect Donald Trump, to keep Donald Trump from getting impeached, from from biting the dust. I mean, nobody enabled this guy more than Bill Barr. I mean, look, obviously the Mueller report. We we know he dist- we know Barr distorted the Mueller report and played all sorts of games with the timing of the release. But even if you look at Ukraine, which now I think has extra resonance. I mean, this is almost like you know number eleven or fifteen on the <laughs> list of of Barr's misdoings. But but it really looks extra bad now. I mean, let's remember when that whistleblower complaint came out, you know, notifying the world of Donald Trump's effort to shake down Vladimir Zelensky. The law says that if a whistleblower complaint like that has been deemed credible, which it was, it shall be forwarded to Congress, shall forward to Congress. Mm -hmm. Bill Barr gets out his law book and somehow construes shall forward to mean unless it involves the president. And this is, by the way, Bill Barr is really bad on the law. I want to say this. Like, everyone says, oh, he's a super smart man. Not really. He's a smart enough guy, but he's like a six out of 10, as lawyers go. And and he is will- what he is willing to do is just take any legal position possible, start where start at the end, what result do I want, and then sort of backfill in some bogus rationale. And that's what he did with the whistleblower complaint. And then, AG, he utterly refused to even open an investigation into what happened in Ukraine. And look, we can argue, there's an argument if you get into the technicalities, was it federal bribery? Was it federal extortion? Was it federal solicitation of election aid? I've argued that I think it is. I thought at the time it was. I think it is now. But how do you justify not even taking a look, not even opening an investigation unless you are trying to cover up for this guy? So let's remember that as well when it comes to Barr's history. 
Yeah, I mean, he that was a violation of the Empowerment Control Act. The GAO even found mm-hmm. that. Yep. And of course, yeah, but that's not enough, a predicate, a factual predicate to open an investigation. I don't think so. And also, you know, with regards to Ukraine and the Mueller report, you know, because like you said, you wrote this book and you're glad that you did because we've got something on the record. I feel the same way about the Mueller She Wrote <laughs> podcast. Yeah. But Bill Barr inappropriately redacted volume one of the Mueller report. A judge found oh. and those redaction bars had to be lifted and he was trying to downplay the breadth and depth of Russian interference in our election, which was an attack on our democracy. And it's the same kind of thing that eventually led to Vladimir Putin being in office for 22 years. His big lie and his election rigging. So, you know, that vindication, I I understand where you're coming from because you don't want to be right Right. (laughs) about the total politicization and weaponization of the Department of Justice. I didn't want to be right about the breadth and depth of the Russian attack on democracy in 2016 and again in 2018, 2020. But, you know, when volume five of that Senate report came out, it was like, well, this is pretty much reads like a transcript of, of the, the podcast I've been doing for the last couple of years. But the amount of information in Hatchet Man is just so incredible. And, you know, I put a tweet out. I was like, don't buy yeah. Bill Barr's book. Why would you pay to be lied to by Bill Barr? You know, <laughs> get get the truth here in, in Ellie's book. And so I think everyone needs to to grab a copy of this and read into exactly what it was. That he was up to and all of the the misdeeds that that he committed, whether whether they've been investigated or not. There's you know, there's so many interesting things that I think we even forget. And one of the interesting things is when you look back at the Mueller report now, you know, it's become sort of more uh, more popular, I guess, to focus on volume two, the obstruction of justice, because I think that's more crimey. That's more criminal. I you know, it's still to this day, I completely reject Bill Barr's bogus explanation for why he declared no obstruction. But let's let's put that aside for a moment, because. Volume one is really, again, especially in light of recent developments, taken on so much more importance and resonance. And Bill Barr was utterly dismissive, even in his interviews this past week, of the Russiagate hoax. He calls it the greatest political scandal and crime in history. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, look, and and I think, again, Jake Tapper did a nice job of saying this. He said, even if the evidence didn't quite constitute a chargeable criminal conspiracy against Donald Trump, at a minimum, we know And we learned from the Mueller report that Russia committed crimes, Robert Mueller charged crimes, Russia committed crimes in order to interfere with the 2016 election. They did it because they wanted to help Donald Trump win. And the Trump campaign knew and expected to benefit from this. Bill Barr very very cavalierly just says, "Uh, but, but, but the campaign had nothing to do with it. No, bullshit. That is not what Mueller found. They found they knew and expected to benefit from this and attempted dozens of times to make contact with Russians. So that looks even worse now. And I think anyone, when you hear Bill Barr sort of angrily, not just dismissively, but angrily just saying, ah, it was a hoax, a hoax. No, no, this is reality. And we're seeing, you know, some of some of the uh, longer term and broader, broader scope results of that come into play even more forcefully now. Yeah. And and I remember there about being about three or four different Ukraine, quote unquote, peace plans floating around between Cohen and Flynn and Prince and Manafort and Kalimnik even, you know, saying that we need to get, you know, they were lobbying Trump to put forward these peace plans, which included putting Yanukovych back in power, Russian backed Yanukovych back in power in Ukraine, included carving up the country for Putin, including uh, Lohansk and Donetsk and, and Crimea, just handing it all over to to Putin. And this is our Ukraine plan. And then, of course, the 
the watering down of the language in the RNC platform, uh, you know, spearheaded by yeah. by Manafort, that a bunch of Republicans on the RNC were like, excuse me, you want to what? <laughs> Nobody <laughs> quite understood it. You know, the challenge here is I think you hit the nail on the head, though, the challenge when it comes to who understands it. It's still so much easier to just digest the two word slogans. No collusion. All right. Good enough for me. Or Russiagate hoax, you know, and, and, and to see Bill Barr out there still doubling and tripling down on that is appalling. And I want to say this, A.G., you know, Bill Barr very well could have, and, and I would have given him a bit of credit, Not, I mean, you know, he, if he had just gone out there and said, look, I made mistakes. In retrospect, there's things I did and said publicly that were wrong, that I hope didn't push this country towards January 6th. Maybe they did, but it was not my intent. You know, look, being attorney general is a difficult job, and you make thousands and thousands of decisions, consequential decisions, and nobody gets them all right. And, uh, you know, I've, I've sort of look at things differently now. That wouldn't mean he's absolved that kind of statement. But some of the other, you know, booksellers out there, late coming booksellers, and we know the long list of them, ha- have said things along those lines. Uh, Stephanie Grisham sort of said something like this. And, and again, I don't see this as absolution, but I see it as a more constructive way to look back at your time there. But Bill Barr, oh no. Mm-hmm. Bill Barr, you know, likes to pat himself on the back and tell these heroic stories. I look Mr. Trump in the, oh, I'm doing a Bill Barr impression. I've ever, I look Mr. Trump in the <laughs> face and I said, that's bullshit, Mr. President. You know, like all of a sudden he's a bold hero, yet he still doubles down on the worst of his lies. And, and to me, that's inexcusable. Yeah. Yeah. Also inexcusable to downplay the the depth and the, the breadth of, of Russian interference in our election yeah. by inappropriately redacting volume one. And we know we, we watched Mueller testify. Mueller was a volume one guy. I was a volume two person. The, <laughs> the, the Harry Potter sorting hat put me in house volume two. But that was Mueller's thing. It's like, look, yeah, no, we, we couldn't find criminality. We couldn't prove it because of all the obstruction that we got and the pardon dangling and all that other stuff. But we, you know, volume one was where it was so important. And he's like, they're doing it as we sit here. They're doing it as we sit here. And that is something that Bill Barr helped, helped cover up. And that's something I'll never forget. It, it's almost like um, you're probably about the right age for this, but like Guns N' Roses, use your illusion. Like, are you a volume one or volume two guy? <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Um, and the, and- <laughs> the, the funny thing is, like, all us prosecutors tended to be volume two people because that's obstruction of justice, crimey, crimey. And, but, but you know, you NATSEC folks are, were, were volume one. And I think I think volume one is rising again in the historical memory um, a, as it should. And by the way, here's a crazy detail in his book that I, I honestly didn't know because it wasn't publicly reported in any fashion. But Bill Barr apparently says and so oh, uh, Savannah Guthrie did a nice job of, inter- of asking Bill Barr about this. The day Mueller testified that night, Bill Barr gathered people in his office and they popped champagne. They had a party. And Savannah Guthrie said, don't you think that kind of looks bad? And Bill Barr had no answer. He was like, well, we, it was a lot of work we had put in. It's like, get out of here. You were celebrating because you thought that it was over and you thought that Mueller had fallen flat. Like it looked so bad. And he still I mean, it's such an obvious answer. I can't believe Bill Barr would think that that's a good idea to put in his book. But uh, it tells you a lot. It tells you a lot. What, what they what they were celebrating all the work they put into what? F- yeah, fucking the over two days. Robert Mueller? The two days it took Bill Barr to put pull together his four page letter and throw the whole thing out. That must have been yeah. grueling. Yeah. The, the, all that back and forth in the deliberative process privilege right. thing right. that they had to go through to decide not to charge or to, you know, that that the, yeah. the, the, what what was in volume two did not amount to obstruction of justice, which, by the way, is has probably made it 10 times harder for anybody in the D.C. U.S. attorney's office 
to go ahead and charge what happened in volume two because of that decision. And we, we you know, of course, the Department of Justice is appealing, re- uh, releasing that second half yeah. of that memo, that March 2019 memo. Yeah, that's uh, um, it's a mess. And I and I, I don't envy anyone who has to untangle it. But I thank you yeah. so much for writing this book. Everybody got to get it. Hatchet, man. How Bill Barr broke the prosecutor's code and corrupted the Justice Department. And uh, gosh, I'm looking forward to the next book where you talk about everything that had to to take place to undo the damage. I mean, that that's that's a, a chunk of it for sure. I really thank you, AG, though. You and your listeners have been great supporters of this book. And, and like you said, it's one of those things where it comes even more true than you expected. And it's disturbing, but it, it's gratifying. And it's the best we can do is to sort of know the truth and, and to stick with that. Yeah. And we do have a companion podcast. It's out. It's been out for uh, since your book came out uh, about yeah. Hatchet Man, the MSW book, book club. club. If you want to read it, <laughs> read the book and listen to the companion podcast. I think it's eight episodes. But thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. And, you know, we'll be in touch because I think the dominoes are going to start falling pretty soon. They have to because if the Department of Justice doesn't isn't doing what I think they're doing and what you you say, you're you're not sure. <laughs> yeah, that will be. Yeah, that'll be pretty perilous if they're not if they decide not to do anything. As always, AJ, we we will stay in touch. We'll talk it through. Thanks very much. Thanks, everybody. Ali Honeg. Stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hi, I'm Francis Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. And if you have any good news, corrections, confessions, what the mutt, uh, if you want to send me your Halloween photos, always year round Halloween photos, I'm down. Uh, it's kids on Easter bunny laps. I love those. And uh, also whoopee stories, anything like loveys and stuffies. I mean, I, I love those stories so much, Dana. They're, they're touching my heart. They are. They're, they're wonderful. my heartstrings. And you, do, you can send it all in by going to dailybeanspod.com, clicking on contact. Dana, are you ready for some Monday good news? Oh, please. I need it. I do, too. Let's let's kick this off with Tian, pronouns she and her. And this is a confession. She says, I worked for the 2020 census and we were stopped in the middle of our count. We would get our assignment daily and we were supposed to work until December. In early October, I got a message to stop counting and then I needed to return all my equipment. The message read as though I hadn't followed directions, saying this is your third notice. Return your equipment now. I knew we weren't done. Later, I heard on NPR that the census had been stopped. No wonder there were populations that were undercounted. So infuriating. That's really interesting. Yeah, uh, it is. Very and I wonder how many people were told to stop counting. Sounds sounds familiar when, after the votes started to come in. Right. I know. Stop counting. Thank you for that, for that little confession, although it's obviously nothing you did wrong. So mm-hmm. anyway, um, this is from Kate, pronouns she and her. Thank you for sharing the different ways to support Ukrainians as they continue to resist the Russian invasion. I haven't heard this one mentioned yet, but similar to the Airbnb booking, today I bought a number of print-at-home artworks from Ukrainian artists on Etsy. Oh my God. 
Today, I bought five different beautiful art prints from different artists that I can print at home. Two of these will be a Mother's Day gift, and the other three will go up around my house. This is a great, easy way to get some cash directly into someone's hands. Kate, great idea. That's awesome. Do you want to take the next one too? <gasps> sure. This is Uh-oh. from Susan. Oh my God. Pronoun she and her. Creation. The little sock here is one of my five-year-old grandson's favorite. He calls them his crazy eyeball socks. He loved them so much, I decided to make him an Afghan like them. He loved it. Whoa. That's beautiful. Whoa. Crazy eyeball. Blanky now. Let me know if, if he if he whoobies it up, <gasps> like if he carries it around. Oh my God, there's a puppy in a shirt. <laughs> Coming up next. Oh, from Heather. Pronoun oh, she and I her. I just snorted. <laughs> You're making Dana snort. Hiya, friends, says Heather. Nothing really to say, just sending a puppy for Dana. Thank you. You can wet the mutt, but I can't provide the grading key. As Mr. Gregory Bell was recused... No, excuse me. <laughs> 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 Mr. Gregory Bell recused himself from several cases. And that's why he's wearing home. this button-down shirt. <laughs> he was rescued by three little pities from an abandoned house in Texas because there were two loca- lactating mamas. What is going on with me today? I don't know. It's fun. Recused himself from the locating mothers with six. Uh, okay, so he's rescued, and there were two lactating moms with six pups. We don't even know who his mom is. Oh, wow. He's now fostered here with me in Western Washington State, waiting for his forever family to find him. Okay. Okay. How can you let this face go? Look at the second picture. Yeah, but sleeping halfway on the bed, that's like me. I mean, that's I hilarious. T- if I take a Xanax before bed and yeah. don't don't like prep properly on like legs halfway off the bed. Oh my God. There's a little Sharpay. There's probably some boxer. Um, <sighs> there's just, a, there's perfection. There's love. There's part, there's the little part sweetie in there. Oh my goodness. This shirt. I can't. Amazing. It perfectly fits. It really does. Oh my it's God. F- I do hope you find us forever home. I don't know how you're going to let go of that baby, but good luck. I know, I know. And hearts out to all the the foster people, whether you're fostering babies or pets, whatever you're fostering, how you do it, you're just heroes. How you you do that is beyond me. The love that you give and then you find it for, it's just astounding work that you're doing. So thank you for being fosters. All right. And if you have, again, any good news or what the mud or anything you want to play, you can send it in to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And um, Dana, do you have any uh, final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, just a quick final thought. I met, I had, the, I had a ledge, uh, it was my lesbian dream sequence gig last night because it was the HRC gala honoring Brandy Carlisle and Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach actually presented her with the award AG. <gasps> I was in lesbian heaven and I just want everyone out there to know that like Brandy Carlisle is one of the sweetest people on the planet, insanely talented. And if you don't listen, and, and I hope it's okay to tout another podcast because it's the conversations are so good, but if you don't listen to We Can Do Hard Things, go listen to a couple of episodes. It's it's Abby, Abby Wambach and Glennon Doyle's podcast. It's just, it, it gets you right in the feels. And they were all really, really lovely. And I also got to meet a couple of other people that I, I respect, but those three women, it was, I could not have been happier last night. <laughs> I had to try not to fangirl. It was pretty funny. <laughs> That's amazing. And you've hosted a zillion of these things. So it's yeah. like for you to be like, huh? oh, yeah. 
I did. And every <laughs> once in a while, then you try not to keep talking. You're like, I'm Dana. I'm going to be on stage tonight telling some jokes and raising some money, but I'm also a huge fan. Can I please just have a picture with you? You know, I am that person. I like to remember those things. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's it, I yeah. When I, I remember when I had sat down, got on, got on the in a Zoom call with Adam Schiff, I was like, huh, yeah, hello, you're a hero. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like holy shit. That's so cool. That's yeah. so awesome. And April sixteenth, cool. you're gonna oh. be at Martinis above fourth in San Diego. I will. Mart- I will. Martinis above fourth, San Diego. Um, I'm gonna be with Suzanne Westenhofer, Bruce Valanche. Tickets are still available, so you can go to Martinis above fourth's website and get them. I'd love to see you. Yes, and they have something called the Executive Martini, which is the best martini I've ever had in my life. Ooh, yeah. So I'm looking forward to having one of those. All right, that is our show. We will be back tomorrow. And until then, everybody, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health, and vote blue over Q. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.